Well, hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Teacher of the Film Buff podcast. Another week of uh, review roundup uh, as I kind of go through the, the recent movies I've seen, or at least the ones uh, worth talking about. A uh, couple of interesting choices this week. Uh, we're going to first um, start out by going over the movie Yesterday, directed by Danny Boyle. And I think this was one of the movies that he was, uh, or the movie he was filming while he was kind of going through negotiations to direct Bond 25. He eventually took the job, um, which kind of pushed back the filming uh, schedule because I know he wanted to finish this movie before going on to Bond 25. Inevitably, um, you know, things kind of started to come to head and, and, you know, whether there were differences on set or uh, differences in the script room, he ended up not doing Bond 25. That's going to be Carrie Fukunaga. But anyway, we're here to talk about yesterday. Um, you know, it essentially being known as like the Beatles movie in, in public, um, or around the the online sphere, the Twitter sphere, um, is the the Beatles movie. It really has nothing to do with the Beatles themselves, but rather the the music and how the world has forgotten their music, among many other uh, strange things, including like what is it like Pepsi or something that they or Coke that they yeah I think it's Coca Cola that they forget as well as um. Harry Potter is another thing that they forget, um, and actually kind of creates for some good humor um, throughout the movie with uh, various people forgetting the the lyrics, or not just the lyrics, the songs the Beatles wrote, um, as well as certain other things that uh, our lead character, played by Himesh Patel, um, brings up during the movie. And again, full spoilers here, but it's a little bit disappointing that you actually never really get to hear why. Um, or they never really try to create a reason why the world has forgotten these various things. Um, it's just kind of accepted. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know how exactly I feel about that side of things, but the movie itself is actually pretty dang good. It's kind of like a throwback old school type of rom-com drum. Um, some of the material is a little bit dated. I believe it's written by Richard Curtis, um, is one of the writers in the in the, uh, the writers room there, um, and it kind of has that, you know, love actually. He's just not that into you. Um, even ten things I hate about you type of vibe in the movie. It's not like the the stories are really similar at all, but um, just got that that dialogue back and forth. That like old school rom com where you can kind of predict the the beats and where the story's going romantically. Um, but it's still good. It's it's still very entertaining. I think that the best part of the movie is the the chemistry between Himesh Patel and Lily James, who herself is on quite a run. I have not disliked anything she's done, um, even a movie like Baby Driver, where I'm not a huge fan of the film as a whole. I think it was one of the most overrated movies of that year, if not the last five years. But she's still very good in it. I really want to see her... You know, since Cinderella, I don't feel like she's actually gotten like a a starring starring role, right? So she's always been the co-lead to somebody else. I want to see her actually um, take on a full movie by herself. Um, I think she did that one Netflix movie, that period piece Netflix movie about a year or so ago. I haven't seen that one yet, so uh, perhaps I'm wrong there. But, um, you know, one of the things that I, I kind of was thinking about during the the viewing experience is, is that it's kind of, you know, at first at least, it's kind of hard to root for the main character because, 
you know, he's a he's a struggling musician. He's he's wanting to to finally break through. He's almost on the verge of quitting. Um, and it kind of gets in this little bicycle accident, and then of course the world forgets the Beatles, um, and he kind of takes that and runs with it, um, and uses that to catapult his career. Which you can kind of look at both ways. If they made you feel un- like sorry enough for him, or you know enough sympathy for him in the in the beginning of the movie when he's struggling as, as a musician, maybe you maybe like yeah, you know what, go ahead and take credit for this for at least a little bit, you know, boost your career. Um, because you know you've worked so hard, but if they didn't make you care enough about him in the beginning, this can really be a huge turnoff for the character because you know he's using somebody else's music, taking credit for it, and then um, you know again catapulting his career into stardom. Um, so you always kind of have that, and, and you know it's coming, but you always kind of have that feeling throughout the movie of like you know you kind of you kind of should say something, you kind of should actually admit to the public, maybe try to create your own new songs. Um, you know, it's not exactly the route they go, but I think that the important thing is that it's like a sweet romance story. I didn't really care as much about his music career. Um, but a couple things to note is I do love his best friend. I can't remember the actor's name, but I love that his, his best friend in the movie is played by the same guy who, um, was in Game of Thrones season five when, uh, Daenerys was out in, uh, Marine and she was uh, going to marry you know, one of the high lords there in, in Marine. He was fantastic in Game of Thrones. He's very good as well in this movie. So he's he's something to note um, as well. But so another cast member that I feel like maybe not so much was Kate McKinnon. And don't get me wrong, I, I really do like Kate McKinnon on Saturday Night Live. I think a majority of her stuff hits. And she's very, very funny when she when she needs to be, when she when she wants to be. But a movie like this, she's completely out of place. You need to kind of tone her down. She's kind of in a different movie every single time she appears on screen. Um, so that kind of took me out of it. She's only in the second half, but um, that took the movie down a notch for me. There's also some slight issues with the way they handle Lily James' character and her character arc with uh, another male character in the movie that is a little bit uncomfortable to watch. Um but again, it's it's like that old school rom com drama. So some of the things that maybe you know feel dated in retrospect when you go back and look at those early two thousands, late nineties romances, um, that's what they're kind of going for here. It feels like, and and for a certain extent, it, it does work. And um, again, the the movie lies on the shoulders of the chemistry of Louis James and Hamish Patel, and and they certainly kill it. So music is solid. The covers are not like fantastic or anything of the Beatles music, but it's certainly a good watch. Ultimately, it's it's certainly one of the better summer movies this year, which has been, you know, since Avengers Endgame, pretty lackluster year uh, for summer blockbusters and just summer movies in general. So um, I would give it right around like a 7.7 out of 10. Um, but let, let's move on from yesterday, and we're going to get into something which I haven't really talked enough about uh, on the podcast, which is TV. Um, at least since Game of Thrones went off air. so, And that would be Fleabag Season 1 and 2, um, a show that I was only hearing amazing things about. Never had Amazon Prime, though. I didn't feel like it was something that was you know, worth spending twelve ninety nine on just to binge you know, 12, 25-minute episodes, which is what it is. Um, of course, it absolutely is worth it. Um, the show... 
it's and I again I'm not the biggest TV guy, so I've seen the good shows. I haven't seen a variety of shows though, but this is certainly one of the best shows I've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, and it starts off slow. It's kind of similar to, to to yesterday, where you kind of find it hard in the beginning, at least, to root for Fleabag, uh, which of course they never give her name in the show. She's just known as Fleabag to the audience. I don't think any character in the show even references her name at all. Um, but it's it's a little bit hard to root for because she's kind of standoffish, um, kind of distant to a lot of the characters you're supposed to like throughout the the series. Um, and so when she's kind of you know, talking down to people or, or uh, you know, snapping back at, at her family. It's a little bit like, okay, you know, give them a chance. But when you realize, you know, later on in season one and definitely in season two, you know, what she's gone through in her life and um, some of the, the tragedy that's befalled her, it's, you certainly, you not only care more about her, but you want to see 10 seasons of this show. Because that's one of the things that is interesting is the first season came out in the fall of 2016. It uh, was a tremendous success. Of course, it's based, based off of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's you know, one-woman show. Um, and then they waited two and a half years to put out the second season. And I think it's it's mostly because, and I, I think I saw this online, but it's it's that Waller-Bridge really wanted to take a step back and and not just go right into a season two because it makes sense. There has to be a character reason. And that's one of the things I really, really love um, about something that's not network TV, where they don't demand 23 episodes a season. It's like, okay, you know, on streaming, make a good season, take your time, and then let's get back to it. And so, as of now, it is only two seasons, and the way they end the show, I can't really imagine them going back and doing another season. It's just such a perfect ending, a perfect last shot, almost like a, a heartbreaking, but also kind of heartwarming at the same time the way they end the show and this is one of the things that I don't really want to spoil in case uh, anybody does check out Fe- Fleabag um, but it, God, the second season is absolutely fascinating uh, the way it ties in a kind of a religious angle in a way that was not missing from season one but um, not, not brought up as much um, Olivia Coleman is fantastic as the, the godmother uh, to Fleabag and her sister uh, great family dynamic, great relationship uh, commentary uh, for not only Waller Bridge's Fleabag, but also um, the sister as well, um, the father and the, the godmother. It's just fantastic stuff. So I uh, highly recommend Fleabag. I would give this show a 9.5 out of 10 easily. Um, I absolutely love the way they break the fourth wall. It's like It's almost like the show has that, in a way, it's like that Deadpool dirty humor. But it's also incredibly proper and clean at the same time. Uh, so I love that balance that, that Waller Bridge brings to the show. Certainly recommend this one. Um, let's go to something that I uh, I don't recommend at all if you're squeamish or if you're uh, you know not into uh, the thinking horror, if you will. And that would be the film, probably maybe the most controversial film of the summer, and that's Midsummer. Um, and I say summer because I believe that's actually how it's pronounced, not Midsummer, which I've been saying for the last week or so. But anyway, Midsummer, directed by Ari Aster. Um, and that's uh, one of the first things I want to discuss is that Ari Aster directed Hereditary last year. Um, and one of the things I love about Hereditary is that it's it's one of the best human dramas I've seen out of the last 10 years. But the thing I hate about that movie is the last 15, 20 minutes when it becomes something else entirely. 
Um, you know, they kind of go into the explaining as to why certain things were happening in that movie, and it goes way too supernatural. Um, I, I just it, that's where the movie fell off the map for me. When the movie Hereditary, I'm talking about last year, was focusing on that family dynamic um, between Tony Collette and um, Deb Patel. Uh, or not Dev Patel. Um, yeah, and then um, God, the rest of the family. It, it's just... That was where the movie succeeded the most. And some of the most disturbing things I've ever seen on film was in Hereditary. Um, and then he follows it up with a movie like Midsommar, which is almost way more... Which it, it's, like, it's like taking the last 15 minutes of Hereditary and kind of expanding it into an entire feature-length drama, which it really isn't even a drama anymore. It's like a slow-building um, horror where the actual horror is mostly off-screen. Um, so, you know, the first 20 minutes of the movie where Florence Pugh's character uh, is going through a similar tragedy to something like what happens in Hereditary, that kind of devastating um, consequence to to real drama, real depression that's going on in the movie with her family. Um, that's where the movie's fascinating. I, I thought, wow, this setup is, is impeccable. Like, what what are we in for if this is the beginning of the movie? This is going to be something else. Um, but it turns into some, it turns into just like a, a cult horror, you know, great cinematography, but w- what am I exactly watching here type of movie. Um and again, I love that I know Ari Aster's name. One of the best compliments you can give a director is that you know his name right when you see the trailer. Like, oh yeah, I know Ari Aster. He directed this movie, directed that movie. I mean, there are directors that have directed eight to ten movies that I've seen and I don't actually know their name yet. You know what I mean? Uh, but when you already know somebody's name and he's only directed, what, two movies? Um, that's one of the biggest compliments you can get. And I love that he is making movies. Like, I love that there's movies out there like Midsummer because it challenges the brain. Um, you know, a movie like Hereditary challenges you as a viewer. It's not just your typical popcorn summer fun, um, but at the same time, you have to create a story that's um, that you can not only follow along with, but you at least enjoy watching. I, for the last hour and a half of Midsummer, I kept checking my phone, and I hate doing that in movies. Uh, of course, I'm not like you know pulling out my phone and having that huge brightness interrupt everybody else's viewing. But God, was I ready to leave the theater? It just nothing was happening that I was at least invested in. Of course, there were things happening on screen that I know a lot of viewers love, um, and they love that type of horror or thriller or, you know, whatever you want to call it, but it's not for me. Um, And so, you know, at this point, I'm not even sure if I really want to see the next Ari Aster um, piece on the screen, if it's just going to be another one of these obscure cult horrors like, uh, like Midsommar. So... Again, the pacing is really what uh, what kills it. The movie's two hours and twenty seven minutes. You could probably cut off thirty minutes of of some of the the random cult things that happen in this movie that are kind of repetitive. Um, but you know that's that's his vision, and I, I respect that. But let's talk a little bit about Florence Pugh's performance because that clearly to me is the, is the the highlight of the movie and the reason you actually go and see it in the first place. Um, she was great in Fighting With My Family. She was fantastic in Outlaw King. She was very good in her limited role in The Falling. I still have to check out Lady Macbeth. I'm 
very stoked for her, her role in Little Women at the end of the year. Um, I just think she's easily going to be an Oscar winner in the next three or four years. She's so, so talented. Um, and so I was really happy to see that her form- performance is another uh, fantastic one here. Um, extremely transformative. Like, you you get sucked into her drama, um, her personal life story within the first 10 to 15 minutes just by Ari Aster's directing and by her um, charisma on screen. Even, when, even in a role that doesn't demand charisma, like, you're supposed to feel a little bit distant to what's going on because it's so drastic um but she she is absolutely golden in this movie so i'm glad that that was the case and i didn't you know just have a an empty viewing experience but you know it's not for me um i heard it was originally more of a slasher film which i'm not sure that would have made it it made it better or not but but that's that's certainly what i heard you know, and where does he go from here? Does does he just continue to make these cult horrors, or does he maybe uh, you know dive deeper into to something uh, more dramatic, which is what I would love to see him do? Stick with the drama, maybe remove the supernaturalness of the the horror. But that's Midsummer. Um, let's go ahead and get on to a movie I just saw actually, and this is a a 2010 movie called Happy Thank You More Please. Uh, it's directed by Josh Radner, of course, from How I Met Your Mother fame. Um, and this is kind of a, a one of those you know interlocking stories, uh, interlocking rom com drama stories. Not as much as say a Valentine's Day or New Year's Eve, uh, but there's certainly three or four main threads that you're supposed to care about throughout the movie. Um, all living in New York, um, and, and certainly, you know, kind of like how he is in How I How I My Mother. There's a, a a certain part of Josh Radner's character that becomes a little bit unlikable, and that seems to be a theme from the movies I'm talking about and the TV shows I'm talking about today. Um, it's a little bit unlikable in the beginning um, with his character who, within the first 15 to 20 minutes, you know, takes in a kid who's lost in New York and doesn't really go to the police and report that he's lost. It's almost like he's using uh, this kid as a way to cure his writer's block which of course how many gosh darn movies are there about writer's block um it's almost like a you know would movie writers have writer's block they write about a writer that has writer's block um it seems like an easy solution ultimately because i feel like the the end result of a lot of these stories are the same um but again it's a, it's a pretty good movie, and I did actually enjoy watching quite a few of the uh, the stories. Like I, I love Malin Ackerman, who plays his best friend in the movie. She has a, a very great story, a good arc in, in the movie. Um, you have Zoe Kazan, acted alongside Pablo Schreiber. Um, their story is just about the most realistic and, and heartfelt of the whole movie. Um, and then you have... Uh, Josh Radner and Kate Mara's romance that's that's brewing throughout the movie, which it, eh, that's the one where I was I, I felt that it was not fleshed out enough or wasn't written well enough. Um, and the interesting thing about what I'm saying is that so the movie's you know again about a guy who has writer's block, but the thing that people keep telling him throughout the movie is well you know you're great at writing the short stories, you just can't you know you're not you're not the best at at finishing the novel or getting the the, the novel together and that's kind of how I felt about the movie itself 
right? The, the stories work on their own, but together and, and how they bridge bridge the two and try to relate them, it's not the best. And so the movie itself, you know, the sum of its parts are not greater than the, the whole, um, right? Is that how I, I mean, I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly, to be honest, but you know what I mean, right? Um, and again, like I mentioned in the beginning, that the, the story with the kid, uh, it doesn't have the resolution that you, you want. Even if it doesn't go the good route, you want a bigger resolution. You want something uh, more distinct uh, and final, if you will. Um, but the movie has is more than one great song in it that kind of uh, pushes the movie forward. Um, but ultimately, something's missing here. So I don't really know what it is. I don't really have the answers. Um, but something's something's missing. Uh, but I did, I really did enjoy watching the movie. I think it's one of the more interesting uh, rom-com dramas that nobody's really seen. Uh, now I'm interested to just go and see his uh, second feature film uh, directorial uh, feature, which is uh, Liberal Arts with him and Elizabeth Olsen. So we'll see how that is. Um, I would probably give this one a high six, probably like a high, like a six point seven out of ten. Um, we'll see. Uh, might change my mind when I actually write the review, but. That's where we're at right now. Um, and that's that's where the show ends pretty much right here. Um, didn't really want to choose too many of the movies. I didn't have much to say about a movie like Child's Play that I saw recently. Or um, I just watched The Party's Just Beginning, the Karen Gillan directorial debut. I don't really have much to say. I think those movies are solid. Um, much better than I thought for Child's Play for sure. But... Um, not so that I felt like it was worth discussing for more than a minute or two. So uh, next week, we're going to see where we go with this one because I think we might be in. We am, I might end up doing a couple shows next week because you have something like Lion King coming out, which I'm more than willing in doing a full freaking hour and a half on the original. And, uh, of course, the, the, the CGI remake uh, on as well. But also, next week is Comic-Con. And... Uh, as we know, every year there's tons and tons of things that come out of Comic Con. I can imagine, you know, even though DC is not going there this year, you know, Warner Brothers is only bringing uh, its Chapter Two, as well as I can't remember. There's another Stephen King movie that I think they have that they're bringing there uh, for Scare Diego. But ultimately, the actual Hall H panels, uh, DC will not be there. So that's, you know, it's unfortunate. It does kind of seem like at this point that DC or Marvel will kind of sit out a year at a time. They're not gonna both go every year which is unfortunate because i really miss those days of you know 10 trailers that would release and they'd announce five other movies like it was great it's the greatest weekend of the year for movie news typically we'll see if that pans out this year i can imagine that marvel will officially and i say officially because they still haven't actually announced they're making the black widow movie even though they're set photos and everybody knows that they're actually doing that i know feige wanted to wait until after avengers endgame but it's three or four months after Kevin, so I think we can. Uh, I think we can officially announce that. Maybe we get our official first footage of Black Widow. That would be nice. Maybe a teaser trailer. Hopefully, it's all released to the public. Um, I can't imagine in this day and age that will stay that way. If it's not, uh, so there's really no no point in trying to hide that footage. Um. So you have Marvel. You probably they're probably going to announce their entire slate. So something like Internals which is casting right now. Maybe they'll bring out Millie Bobby Brown, Angelina Jolie, Richard Madden, Keanu Reeves, all the rumored cast for Eternals. Um, hopefully they'll get those deals done by that time that, that happens. 
otherwise, maybe they'll officially announce Doctor Strange 2, Guardians 3, which we know is happening in 2022. Um, what else? I mean, what else is there? Is there a Thor 4, potentially? Um, that would be nice to see. Uh, I can't imagine there's an Avengers 4, but though I'm sure there'll be a Black Panther 2 announced, maybe Captain Marvel 2, but I really want them to announce something you know, Shang-Chi as well, but uh, I want them to announce something that we don't know is happening, not not even something that's rumored, like something that nobody knows about um, that is just like, hey, we're going to end up working on this. Maybe they'll eventually announce the Fantastic Four reboot or even the X-Men reboot, like, you know, something like that. I mean, this could be a massive weekend for Marvel. Hopefully it's not a complete letdown, like I'm building this up too much, but um, that's it. That's the show. That's where we're going to end here. Until next time, thanks.